and welcome to the St. George's Podcast. My name's David Edgerton. I am the rector and lead pastor at St. George Maple Ridge. And I'm Roxanne Brandle, and I'm the associate pastor. And we are here today with Reverend Dr. Tellison Glover. Well, hi, everyone. It's good to be with you. I'm Tellison Glover. I'm the director for Ministry and Ministry Development in the Diocese of U.S. Minister. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about injustice and racism, particularly in the light of events we see going on around the world right now. But first, Tennyson, can you tell us what exactly does a director for mission and ministry do? Depending on the day, my my job changes, <laughs> especially at a time like this in, in the midst of COVID, it, it slightly changes in terms of what I do. What my job is about is really and truly giving support to parishes that are in need of resources, whether they be human or material, that to assist them with parish development, to assist them in areas of Christian formation, to assist them in areas where uh, they may be having some challenges. So I offer that as a resource and that takes the form of many different things. So there's intervention, um, where, where I go into a parish, there is working with the Parish Development Grants Committee, where we actually fund innovation and other projects within parishes. It's working with my team, uh, the Committee for Mission and Ministry Development, and also the staff at the Synod Office. Awesome. It sounds like a lot to do. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot. So in this season of, of COVID, life has changed for so many of us. What's been the biggest shift in your role? Yeah, well, I've had to pivot from uh, dealing with uh, projects that help parishes uh, in terms of parish development one-on-one to helping parishes pivot in the midst of this pandemic. Parishes have had to go from in-person gathering to full online worship. I've been helping them with that. And now we're sort of changing as we are entering into a new phase and parishes are now considering reopening. So I'm helping them with that process now, working along with the Archbishop and the the Chairperson for Mission and Ministry Development. Tell us, before we get into our um, topic today, I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about actually who you are as a person, where you um, where you lived in the past, where you trained. I am a son of the Bahamas. I grew up on an island called New Providence. The city of it is Nassau. The Bahamas is made up of 700 beautiful islands, reefs, and keys. And so I'm an island boy. I became a priest at an early age. I was only 20. Three, and I served in various roles uh, within the church. I served as an assistant curate within an urban setting, and I assigned as rector of two parishes, one of which was on an island with a population of only a thousand people. I was there for about six years. I enjoyed that ministry. And then I went to or was assigned to a different country, which was a part of the same diocese, the Turks and Caicos Islands, uh, where I served there as rector for two plus years uh, and had oversight of two churches and one church plant. So I've been in Canada for about two years now. Tellison, did you find um, the transition from the Bahamas and Turks and Caicos. How did you find that transition? Did you face any um, issues with racism when you came to Canada? 
Yeah, so when I first came, I didn't have any challenges whatsoever getting into the country. The wonderful thing about being a clergy person is that it affords you less hassle or, or hassle-free to a certain degree experience with immigrating here. So when I speak to other people about, you know, their immigration experience, it's almost like night and day. So I take that as something that has given me a very unique experience. But beyond that, I would say that, yes, I've I've had um, some experiences with racism. Interestingly enough, in the Bahamas and the Texas Islands, I'm not a minority. <laughs> the majority of the population is black. So if racism exists, it's 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 so minuscule, it's very unnoticeable that you 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 would hardly ever consider it to be a thing. Coming to Canada, however, at the beginning, I was oblivious to any forms of racism that I may have experienced. Even today, like when I think about it, it's hard to consider that I have, you know, been on the receiving end of, of racism. But as I lived here a little while and, and I got settled, I started to detect some, you know, nuances of of something that I can only assume at best is founded upon some type of racial mindset. You know, there's a part of me that wonders if that's nature or something that was nurtured in me. With the time that I have been here, I have become more racially aware than I have in my entire life. I knew of the things that were happening in the U.S. I knew of some of the things that were happening in Canada to a certain degree, especially with First Nations. Uh, people, but I had never really experienced it for myself, for myself until like I came here. One day, say for instance, I was uh, attending a service at a church, and I wasn't dressed as a, as a priest. And I sat next to somebody that was a member of the parish, and I was dressed in like a leather jacket with jeans on and stuff. So I was looking quite my age, and so I you know, politely turned after a while and introduced myself to the person and we got into a conversation. And eventually I told them, well, you know, I'm a priest. I've actually preached in this congregation before and they couldn't believe it. And I don't think that they were aware of what they were saying, right? <laughs> and they said to me, say, oh, you're a priest. I would have never guessed that. I, by the, by the looks of it, I thought you, you were a gangster or something. And <laughs> when they said that, it, it sort of made me wonder. I, I was like, okay, is this racially motivated or is this person, you know, just saying something because they, they really are a bit nervous or don't necessarily know what the right thing would be to say? And that was like my first experience with something that I would deem as something that was undergirded in, in some racial mindset, which, meant, which led me to believe that if there are persons that are racist to a certain degree, that is so subtle that, that they themselves are not even aware of it. Yeah, I think that's, that's the case in some issues. When you think of Maple Ridge, I mean, my children growing up in Maple Ridge didn't have much experience with people of color at all, whereas myself in East Vancouver, that was part of my life. For me, I, I definitely had a hard time getting used to being pretty much the only person of color in many meetings. It took a long time to, to get accustomed to that because I, I'd never been placed in that type of environment before. So I, 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 I must admit that in many cases, I was like really nervous <laughs> um, uh, being around people that you know, in many respects that I, that I have to work with on a daily basis or, or have to meet 
from time to time. But I got adjusted, you know. I, I got used to it. Eventually, um, it became something that didn't bother me at all. As you're coming from outside of Canada into Canada, obviously you would have seen some racism towards minorities here. Do you have anything that you can share with us as an onlooker looking in? I never knew the full story of the uh, experience of oppression and injustice that First Nation people have experienced. And when I heard the story for the first time, I wept. I couldn't contain myself emotionally. What was sad for me was that for the first time, I, I understood what oppression was and the, and, and the impact that it, that it could have on any people over an extended or prolonged period of time. And I just saw so many similarities between the impact of oppression on First Nations people and the impact of oppression on Black people, especially those in the diaspora. And it was enough just to make me cry. And probably one of the saddest things for me is the realization that living in Canada, many of us were not aware of what was going on when it was going on. Some, it's not that we took a blind eye, we just didn't know. My grandmother was First Nations and she never admitted it to us till she was in her 90s. She would never admit to it and we never understood until much, much later what she was trying to escape. And so we don't have all the stories that we could have because she was so afraid. Yeah, and it's something when it's been bred in you that because of your skin color that your value is, is much less than another race. I don't, I don't think many people realize what that does to you psychologically and emotionally and, and how that even reaches down to other generations. It, it becomes generational after a while to the point where it's a sort of mindset that is passed down indirectly. It's kind of sad to think that the only way my grandmother could get ahead was to basically deny who she really was. One of the saddest things for us was we didn't get a chance to know her younger because she didn't want to admit who she was. The thing is, it happens too many times and it's still happening today. And, you know, I was watching a clip on Instagram and it showed three persons, a father and two children, and the last child was a baby, trying to look over a fan. And of course, you can imagine that the father is the tallest. So the father, he was able to see over the fence because he was, he was standing on a crate. Everyone else was standing on, on, on a crate as well. But because of their height, they couldn't see over the fence. And then it went to a different clip where each person, the father and the two children, all of them could see over the fence, but they each had different size crates. So the you know, the heights of each of them were, were different. Even though it was the same, each of them could see over the fence. And that clip described the difference between fair and justice. What was fair was that each of them had the same crate of the same height, but only one person could see over the fence. What was justice was where each person could see over the fence, but each was given a different size crate. And I thought that that made it so clear of what justice really is.
it was at that time that I realized that, you know, this is the type of work that is being done in, in some cases, but needs to continue to be done. And in some cases needs to ramp up <laughs> when it comes to lifting up those persons that have been oppressed for so many years. Not that you're trying to make things fair because that, that is something that, that doesn't help the situation, but that you're trying to do justice so that each person can have an opportunity to see what is on the other side of the fence. As you open the Bible, is there a particular passage that springs to mind that speaks of justice? I mean, it's the reason why Jesus came. You know, the incarnation uh, is the the symbol of of justice, of, of God's justice being spread throughout the world. And even Jesus himself recognized this when he unrolled the scroll, uh, when he began his earthly ministry and said, you know, I've come here to recover the sight of those that are blind, to let the oppressed go free, to free the captive, and so on and so forth. To me, that is one of the highest priorities of our faith. Given the, the climate that we see happening in the United States and given the climate that we're in even here in Canada, this is the thing that we ought to be keeping at the front of our minds and our hearts and, and our actions when we seek to to live out our Christian witness. And that is to speak to, to be proactive with, and to react to areas of, of injustice. In Canada, of course, I think the context of injustice towards people of color is a little different from the United States. But no matter the context, I think the, the purpose, it, it, it stays the same, that we are here, we exist to remove as best as we can injustice in the world. One of the things in being in the Anglican Church, and as I studied church history and saw how church and colonialism went hand in hand in, in Africa and other parts of the world, so I guess there's this sense of communal guilt. You know, we've, we've been part of the problem. How can we now as Anglicans be part of the solution of liberating the oppressed and, and seeking to work for justice? Guilt is a very worthless feeling if you're not doing anything about it, in my view. And it is something that we have to use to move us toward action. One of the things that I see happening now is people of all colors standing up against injustice, no matter which particular race might be impacted negatively by it. It's, it's one thing to, to recognize that the guilt, you know, of just being a person that w was born with privilege, that that is not enough, actually, in my view. It requires every person that understands the depth of injustice that exists within the world or our given context to take a stand and to join hand in hand with others that are standing against injustice. You know, that, that's how we move forward. I'm not one for forgetting the past, but I'm not one for rehashing it over and over and over. I'm, I'm one who's all about answering the question, now what do we do? And you know, when you think about the individual, you and me, how can we be more accepting of people of different cultures and different backgrounds? What do you think our first steps are? The first step is one of acceptance and recognition. Just recognizing that there is privilege and power that is shared disproportionately throughout the world based on a person's skin color. There is also 
trying to understand a person's or a people's history and trying to understand their story, understanding what they've gone through. You know, it requires you to go and do the research. And we live in a, in a time right now where ignorance is a choice. I remember a camp that I directed years and years ago with a bunch of teenagers, and they all came from different faith backgrounds. And they spent a week hearing each other's story. And the thing that impressed each one of the, the kids was, they're just like me. They have the same fears. They have the same hurts. They have the same issues with their parents. They have the same issues with teachers. And what they learned, because they were all coming from different faith backgrounds, was that the person across from them was a human being that was like them. And I think sometimes we forget that when we don't listen to the story. Just to take a quote from a Franciscan prayer, where it says, seek first to understand than to be understood. And, and that position makes a world of difference. We can never walk in another person's shoes, but, but we can at least ask them where their shoes have been. I like that because sometimes we think we can understand. And if we do not have the same history, we can kind of understand, but we, we're not there. There's a lot of diversity in Canada and we're a country with people from all over the world. But as I go out to socially distance to the lake, I see that people are with their, their family groupings and all the cultures are represented, but they don't tend to be mixing. Um, so what can we do to begin to break down some of those barriers, perhaps even inside the church, uh, to include people of all the ethnicities that we see in our land, in our worship services and in our community, and to help bring people together so they can understand each other? We're in the season of Pentecost. On the inauguration of the church, you know, the disciples were in the room and they were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in diverse languages. and the people that were in the room and they were in wonder because the disciples were speaking in their native tongue. And so I, I think that speaks to a certain degree, the context that we're in and ways in which we can work to sort of bring the spirit of Pentecost alive and relevant in our lives. And that is to seek out difference, to seek out areas where there are persons that do not speak like us, look like us, sound like us. And it's not just related to race. And seeking ways in which we can remove barriers of misunderstanding, which is, in essence, what happened on the day of Pentecost. The barriers of misunderstanding were removed. And to be intentional about that, because it, it is something that happened on a particular day. And I think, you know, of course, we're not going to do that every day. We're not going to do it every Sunday, but maybe one Sunday. What is it that we can do to remove the barrier of a difference of understanding when it comes to language, when it comes to understanding persons from a different culture, a different race? And, and I think once we continue to do that, to set our intentions on doing that, I think we, we will make steady progress. You know, just imagine if we took the time to really get to understand within a liturgical context, what is it like to worship God from an indigenous person's perspective, or even a black perspective, or a perspective from a person from China or Korea or, or India. I attended a Sikh temple, and again, I was the only black person in the room. And it was, a, it was just a wonderful experience. I learned so much. And of course, 
I'm sure it was only scratching the surface, but in that experience, I learned so much about the power of seeking difference, that in that you find something that is the same. What is interesting, right, is that, is that you know, the day I went to the temple, I didn't tell them that I was a priest or anything. They used Christianity to communicate with me. They were telling me about Jesus. They were pointing me to Jesus. You know, if, if we can do things like that, have a mindset like that, I think we would be heading in the right direction. I was just thinking, I don't know if you've ever read the book by Don Richardson, Peace Child. But in it, he talks about how important it is for us as Christians to hear the story. And that there is a key to the story and that it is only, like you said, when we listen to the story, that we can begin to look for the key that God has put into each culture so that they can be found. And I think our our issue sometimes as a church is we think we have the one and only key. We do have Jesus, but we don't have to talk about him as the Lamb of God. There may be another key. And in his book, um, Don Richardson said, even in uh, a tribe that was cannibals, there was a peace child in which the story could introduce them to Jesus. And so I think sometimes we need to be encouraged to listen first to the keys that God has placed in every culture. And, and that is powerful. You know, the saying goes, diversity is key. Tell us, do you have any examples of a parish you've been to in our diocese where you've seen some work to overcome some of these issues of racial tension and injustice. I'm not going to name any names, but, but we are doing the work in, the, in this diocese. Many of our parishes are doing the work. Some could do a bit more work. I am so proud of the efforts that many parishes are making, especially when it comes to uh, those that sponsor refugee families, those that sponsor our ministries that offer ministry to people of color, in particular persons that are First Nations. And I'm, I'm extremely proud uh, of those that host dismantling racist, racism courses. Of course, there's so much more to be done. One thing I just wonder, if there's anyone listening, I've, I've spent a lot of time as we talk about justice, talking about trade and ways to make trade fair. I've been a supporter of the fair trade movement now for a long time. And I find that when I talk about fair trade and talk about child trafficking and children in slavery making chocolate and those kinds of things, that after a while people just turn off and they don't want to hear. So I, I guess I just wonder, what do we do when people stop listening, stop trying to understand? How can we encourage them to say, you know, you need to keep on, this is not going away. It's a bit like the compassion fatigue that's spoken about when it comes to giving to charity and aid work. And people say, well, you know, there's, there's always starving people. My dollar's not going to make any difference. So what can we do to encourage people to to carry on walking the walk and not to give up. Yeah, it, it's a bit difficult to care about things that are not in your purview. It's very difficult. And I think that is something that should be named and acknowledged. And so with that said, you know, I would encourage people to uh, look in your context, find, find out in your present neighborhood, where is injustice in your area? Where is it that these things are going on? And what is in it that you actually care about? Or who is in it that you actually care about? And 
helping people to find where their passions are and directing them into an area where they can uh, live out their Christian witness, that they can work towards uh, justice in their particular context is the work of the church. That's what I think we can do to encourage people. And as much as we acknowledge the injustices around the world, we, we only need to look in our own yard and find where an injustice lays and seek to remove it with all the power and love that we can muster. On that note, thank you so much for joining us this week on the St. George's Podcast. David and Roxanne, thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate having an opportunity to just, you know, speak from my experience and to, uh, I guess, shed a little bit of light, whatever I could, uh, on, on this issue. It, it's something that day by day is becoming more and more personal to me, especially in times like, like, like these. And I'm just happy to, to talk about it. We would like to know what fun things have you done during this, um, you know, social distancing moments? Was there anything that you've done that you haven't had a chance to do in the past? Like every day I go hiking and I take pictures of rocks that people leave. Like people have been coloring rocks. It's, it's probably a thing you've seen. I've been getting up every morning and going into the park. Every few steps, that I make, I see a stone and there's like an encouragement on it, written on it. And it's something that says, stay strong. Another thing would say um, gratitude. Another thing would say, you rock. <laughs> and, and that's just been, for me, a great coping mechanism because it's just, it's just through those small acts of kindness that people have left that I'm the recipient of. So that's been really good. That's awesome. And what is one thing that you're looking forward to when all of this is over? Uh, what, what are you most looking forward to doing? I can't wait to get on the plane and, and uh, we'll go back home because uh, I have a sister and a brother that, that are there um, and I would very much love to see them. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for being with us and we really enjoyed your being able to share with us from your experience. and. If there's folks listening who want to find out more about what Taliesin does, then we will put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the St. George's Podcast. We're back next time with the Reverend Dr. Kyle Norman talking about spiritual formation and what that means for Christians. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating, and we'll see you again very soon.